Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. by driving <laughs> from the East Bay across the bridge to the mission. George, uh, Alameda, and I uh, got here like I always do, in my truck. I'm Michael. Uh, my car wouldn't start, so I took a cab from Divisadero. <laughs> I'm not in the, I was in my room and I suddenly materialized in the bathroom. <laughs> My name is Jim. This is my first time to attend. Thank you for welcoming us. Um, I come from Oakland, and we carpooled over. We'll have to work on getting a ride with George's pickup truck. <laughs> 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 my name is Bruce, and I also come from East Bay, San Diego.
want to apologize. I didn't show up the last time. I don't know if any of you guys were here. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I, something was going on with my family. You know, I have very aged parents, and um, I got distracted. I got a call from Clint <laughs> the next day saying, I hope you were all right. And I said, oh, my God. So that's the first time I've ever done that. So I really apologize. If, um, from from running the Lesbian Buddhist song, it's sort of the same thing. You know, I sort of sit there waiting for the guests to come. You know, thinking, please. You know? <laughs> and actually, we've never been let down, you know? <laughs> I don't know, maybe next week now. I don't know. Um, I do a lot of the talks myself, but once in a while we have guests and things, and, um, you know, I'm always kind of worried. So, that won't happen again. I'm sorry about it. Um, what I usually do, we go till 12, is that right? Yeah. Usually do I talk for a while. Um, I've got a lot of stuff here because I, um, I've just been working on this topic for a while, which I'll explain to in a second. And so I'll try not to do the whole thing because I really want to leave time for some discussion and um, also a little exercise that um, I'm going to ask you to maybe participate in. We'll see how you feel about it when the time comes. So I'll be watching my watch. Um, I have been working on a PhD in um, philosophy and religion for, I don't know, ever since I can remember, it seems. <laughs> um, my kind of ticket to work is I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So, and I got that a long time ago. And so I run, I'm a director of a social service agency in a way. Um, and I've been doing that for a long time, but because I'm very interested in the Dharma, and particularly in the wisdom path, of the Dharma and in the Theravada, which is the branch that I'm from, um, there are very many wonderful teachings and esoteric teachings and the Pali language people study and all this. And so I've been involved in this over the years. And I finally realized that I should really go to CIIS and get credit for all this um, studying that I was doing. So, oh God, 10 years ago or more, I started just taking a class once in a while, but it was really more like a hobby than anything else, expensive hobby. (laughs) But it was really feeding me and nourishing me. And then uh, this summer I got a call from the registrar saying, you know, are you going to take your comprehensive exam soon? <laughs> you know, and I said, what? And she said, you know, you finished all your units. I mean, you know. So I, I wasn't really, I mean, it wasn't quite that out there. But I, you know, it wasn't really, I didn't really think I was going to do that, you know. But I realized at that point I'd spent a lot of money. And maybe it was a good thing to pursue. So now I'm coming down to the end of it and hopefully soon writing my dissertation. So just to let you know, um, through that, I've been studying, uh, because I branch into psychology as well as into the Dharma a lot, um, the understanding of the personality or who we really are in the sense of the Abhidharma, which is the Theravada expression really just for the high Dharma or the high esoteric teachings um, Another person called it um, the study of consciousness, if you want. Buddhist psychology is sort of the jargon that people throw around. Uh, They wouldn't have called it that in the Buddhist day, (laughs) but that's kind of one way of thinking of it. So I thought I would present a little of that today, and and pieces of it you'll be quite familiar with. Um, You know, as the Dharma is this interwoven net, you know, of explanation. There'll be pieces of you may have heard before, um, but maybe it's coming forth in a different way. Um, and then I'm maybe, if I can get through most of it, I'm going to ask you some questions in the end to consider about yourself. So one of the things that's important to understand, I think, when we're talking about ourselves 
as persons or personalities in relationship to the teachings of the Dharma is they have two basic ways of talking about this. And I think whenever you're sitting with a teacher or even having a conversation perhaps with a spiritual friend, it might be helpful to know which level they're talking on or which level you're coming from even. And I have some words for that. You may have heard it described as the relative plane or the ultimate plane or conventional truth and non-conventional truth. And what they mean by that is the relative plane is just like me and you. You know, it's here, I have a name, you have a name. We just went around and identified ourselves and our cars, you know, know, in our cities. You know, this is our identity on some level. And on the relative, being gay, you know, on the relative plane, that's great. And that's true. And from my understanding of the drama, there's nothing like wrong with that. And that's something that we need to understand, you know, and be part of and share just like you did today. That's the relative understanding of who we are. Then there's this other thing called unconventional or supramundane. There's all these words for it, ultimate truth, ultimate reality, which is that we're all really not those things, right? We're really one with each other. We're really all the same, you know, on some level. Um, When we reach enlightenment, or we have little even breaks into enlightenment, we kind of realize that. And some of this specialness or difference slips away, you know, and we, we see how we're so so much a part of each other. So when we're talking, people sometimes argue even because they get confused, you know, about what level they're talking on. So I'll be talking on both these levels, but I just thought I'd put it out there for something for you to kind of remember or think about. So from this perspective of the Buddhist um, psychology, a person is really only two things, if you want to look at it that way. Mind and body. You know how the Dharma sometimes is just so simple, really. <laughs> you know? Well, yes, of course, you're saying. But what they really mean is that's all. <laughs> just mind and body, or if you want to look at it, matter and mind. Matter and body sometimes meaning the same thing, but this is our matter. You know, so, body. Okay. And when they talk about body, the Theravada talks about it in this beautiful way that I love because it fits into my, um, my other tradition, which is really sort of paganism or women's spirituality or the old nature religions of Europe, you know, fire, air, earth, and water. That's really what they're talking about. Now, they're not literally talking that we have fire, but each one of those is represented in our body in a different way. And they would say that, for example, fire is temperature, right? Heat or coolness, relative heatness and coolness of our body, of the matter that we have. Um, you could take earth, solidity, hardness. And there's meditation practices where you actually sit and you watch the four elements within yourself, you know? And you could, just using those two, you can imagine. Like, it's kind of warm in the room right now. You know, you're sitting, you notice, oh, my body's kind of warm. Hmm, getting a little sweaty. Oh, water. You know what I mean? (laughs) Coolness happening, you know. Um, This cushion is harder than the one I thought. My butt's kind of, you know, uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, hardness, solidity, bones of the body. So so I won't go on and on about it, but that could be a whole teaching and a whole meditation practice. And the Theravada, they do that. My teacher, Rina Sarkar, I don't know if any of you know her. And since she teaches in San Francisco, I really recommend. She has a wonderful little center at Dolores and 21st, right on the corner there. 
Um, she's a Burmese nun teacher. She's about 60-something. The real thing. I mean, she's wonderful from the Theravada tradition, Vipassana. And she knows this stuff backwards and forwards. She's my mentor, actually, at the school. And um, I'm going off a little bit. I just thought of her. And if you're interested in these things, she just knows it. And she's wonderful. She teaches it. So, so that's body, you know, um, water, validity. Water's even looked at as cohesion in a way. It's what holds all these molecules together. So this is what the Buddha discovered when he meditated and probably other wisdom teachers of the time, that we were just physically fire, air, earth, and water, and the vast combinations of that. Okay, so that's who we are, matter, body. Then we have some other thing called mind. <laughs> And by this, we don't mean the brain, right? You probably know that. We don't mean the heart either. You know, a lot of times when I say mind, people say, oh, you mean the heart too, you know? And, and, you know, of course I do. But we don't really mean the organ of the heart either, right, or the brain. We're talking about something else, whatever this consciousness thing that is the mind. So that's the other part. And it really has four parts to it, this mind. Um, I'll just say them quickly so you can kind of get an idea for it. It has... Um, feeling or sensation. The Dharma says that the mind actually senses things. Now, that's a whole thing in itself, but just something to think about. It's very active and it senses things. Um, it also has perception. As you know, we perceive reality. Um, also, what we think of as the mind, I think a lot, is mental formations or thoughts. You know, it's always throwing up some idea or thought or they call it mental formation. But, you know, it's, oh, oh, bricks, you know. <laughs> it's a mental formation. Um, and then consciousness. Okay, so basically what I said was we are mind and body. Mind has those four things I just described. And body has the four elements. And that's what we are. When we meditate, or even just think about this, you know, contemplate it, read about it, however we want to do. Um, the Dharma also says, and this has been somewhat my experience, that you don't really find too much more than that. You know, and they kind of challenge you to tell me what you find, you know, kind of thing. And um, the person is really seen as a collection of all those things. And therefore, there's no personal identity, okay? <coughs> like Bob, you know? Um, now I'm talking on what? The ultimate plane, right? The re that, that super mundane plane. And they kind of point us in that direction, right? Um, that doesn't mean Bob doesn't need his name, <laughs> right, in order to function. So it's confusing, or at least it's um, disorienting, put it that way. And I experienced that a lot. Another important point to me about Buddhist psychology is, which differs somewhat, I think, um, to some degree anyway, from some of the Western psychology that I have studied and been part of, is there's really only one sole purpose, I think, to studying the Dharma or Buddhist psychology, and that is to find out how to lead um, a happier life, basically. You know, Dalai Lama would say that very clearly. He's always smiling and talking about happiness. Um, all people want to be happy. You know, that's one of his basic things. Um, that's the reason to get into this esoteria about air, fire, earth, and water, and all this. Not necessarily for theoretical reasons um, or to be very intelligent. 
you know what I mean, or something like that. Um, it's it's because when you begin to understand all this, you can let go of some of the other concepts you have, loosen up a bit, and um, be a happier person. You're not clinging to yourself in the same way to this identity. You know, you've heard a lot about clinging to I is the source of all suffering, really. So, um, after a while, when we really get into this and we really see that both mind and matter are in constant flux, constant change, besides which it's hard to really put our finger on who we really are in a solid sense, in a permanent sense and in a separate sense, it can be a little scary. I don't know if any of you have been around um, long enough or just happen to be the kind of meditator who's broken through to a few of these moments. But that can be a little... A little uh, I use the word disorienting, but I think it can also be um, difficult. It can be hard to be with this insight, I think. Um, and it has been for me at times. I've, I felt a little insecure, um, kind of questioning uh, in a way, um, even a little aversion or, or irritation about it. Um, and then in real life, my most recent experience of this has been um, a woman that I, um, I won't use her name, but you would probably know who she is, a famous writer, older woman now. Um, if she doesn't have Alzheimer's, she certainly has something that looks like it. And to see a person, you know, who's been so creative in their life and just so mentally there, you know what I mean, and um, say things that don't make sense, you know, um, that's sad in a personal, relative way, but also in a more cosmic or ultimate way, you can really see the degeneration of the mind. You know, I think sometimes we're used to seeing the degeneration of the body. Well, I, I'm sure some of us are getting older. We can see that easily. Um, but the degeneration of the mind is, is actually, to me personally, even more scary. And to see that with somebody, you know, who's has really been so intelligent and present for so many years um, and watch it happen almost on every other day. You know, I see her and she's a little more out of it, a little more confused and saying things a little more. Um, again, the understanding of impermanence and, and watching it all unravel, you know what I mean, her identity, so to speak, who, who I have given her that identity and I think who she is, this writer who has a name and people know her and she's written all these books, you know. And then I see this other thing going on. I think, this isn't, this, who is this? You know, She's still alive, but the, the mental constructs are not holding. You know, So that's, that's a hard one for me. And yet it's the truth, right? <laughs> and she's not, it's not happening when she's dead. It's happening when she's alive. I mean, we know when we die that, well, I, we don't know, but we assume some of that floats away out to the atmosphere. <laughs> but to see it happening you know, in, in, the, in the body, in the real world, in life, Wow, but it's a good, strong teaching. So all this helps me to let go in a way, um, to not hold on necessarily to my identity in ways that, um, that are not helpful to me. So um, the Dharma, and particularly teachings of the Abhidharma, Buddhist psychology, um, give me a rationale for practical living, but also for ethical living. And that's the other piece that I want to mention, that um, for me, Buddhist psychology is much more emphasizing um, 
the good person, let's put it that way, the worthy person. You know how some of the scriptures say, and the noble one came to the garden and talked about whatever, you know, and then the noble one went over here. Um, and, and that not necessarily, I mean, he was, the, the Buddha was a lord, of course, in the sense of, you know, being rich and all. Um, but really, that's not what's intended. What's intended is that noble is the worthy one, right, the good one, the spiritual being. And um, this is one who has, quote, eradicated the defilements. You know, um, that's not my favorite language, defilements, because, you know, in our culture, that always makes us think, oh, we're bad people, we did something wrong, it's almost dirty, you know. But that's not what's intended. Um, and as you know, there are certain um, things that are recommended for us to do and things that are recommended that we don't do, you know, in our lives to be happy but also to be good people. And um, this process of ongoing purification, for example, uh, dropping what they call the five hindrances, you're probably familiar with that one. So one of them is you know, the kind of desire, the clinging desire thing, um, restlessness, you know, being a nutcase all the time, sloth and talker, never being able to do anything. You know, these are just little hindrances that we have as human beings. So the teaching goes, well, it's okay, but notice it, and maybe you don't kind of want to be like that because, you know, that's going to make you a better person, more present, more compassionate, be there for people. And it's also going to um, help you drop away these things that are not, not constructive. So um, another way of thinking about this, you've probably heard, and this is uh, my favorite one, is... Um, the three poisons or the three fires. You know, these are all typical lectures, you know, that people would give. But I'm trying to relate it more to the personality. So there's the big three. You could probably name them in, in my song. I'd probably point to people and say, Ah, <laughs> oh, no, what's the first one? But um, in my language, that is greed or desire. It doesn't mean that you can't want something. We couldn't be alive, you know, if we didn't want to eat or want to have companionship. So it's okay, it's the thing of clinging to it, right? So not the kind of desire and wanting that becomes an obsession because that's hurtful to you and other people. So that's one strain of the personality that we get into. Another one is, of course, hatred or anger, pushing away strongly that we don't want. And that's not just being really mad. <laughs> it's also going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I find myself doing that a lot. <laughs> You know, what is that? You know, what is that really? You know, it's a funny little mannerism, but yeah, it's pushing something away, right? It's saying, oh my God, I don't want to deal with that. It's a very light version of it, sort of conditioned personality trait. And I'm not like on myself here judging myself. It's just talking about the personality and trying to translate it into these heavy-duty Dharma concepts. So not needing to meet everything with... Resistance and anger. And, and then another one, of course, is delusion or ignorance. There's a lot of words for the third one. Confusion. Um, sort of the mixed up mind. So we have this emphasis on unwholesome and wholesome. Um, so when asked what kind of person is a good person or how do we know if we're a good person, another way of looking at it, the third one I'll talk about, are the five precepts, which you're probably familiar with also, at least in the 
Theravada, there's five of them. That's the easiest of all. I mean, there's so much writing and teachings on the five precepts. You know, first one, not destroying life. You know, and then, of course, it's corollary, nurturing life. And then whatever that means to you. You know, I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh writes books on these things. <laughs> you could give a whole talk just on that one, right? But these are kind of moral, ethical, you can see where I'm coming from, kind of ways of being in the world. And that's the kind of psychology I think that the Dharma emphasizes. If you think about Western psychology, um, you'll see some parallels, you know, between Jungian things and Freudian things and self-concept, you know, and behavioral and all these things. There's some commonality, but um, it's not so much about, I don't think, ethics um, or being a good person through one's own effort. So I'm just trying to make some distinctions. The other thing that's really exciting, I think, about uh, Buddhist psychology is it's very optimistic. Um, there's always room for change. It's not sort of, um, doesn't label people in the same way. You know, you don't have a narcissistic personality <laughs> um, or a borderline personality <laughs> or some of these things. I mean, you could go and write a whole paper and compare this stuff. You know, there's kind of comparisons, but it's just not solid that way. It talks about how we're constantly in flux. That's the whole basis of the Dharma, right? Everything is changed. So how could you have a, you know, that kind of personality or something? They will say there's tendencies, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's not at all diagnosis oriented. There's every chance for change. Now within that, I'm going to mention, and I know I'm going fast here, but the law of karma, because some people will say, what about the law of karma? Which means um, there's really not any escape um, from the from your own actions. Also, in other words, if you do a wholesome act, according to the Dharma, that will be wholesome repercussions, wholesome good repercussions of that good act for you and others um, right now, or perhaps a little later, or maybe in another life if you you know think that way, however you want to think. Um, and in a negative way also. Except that's not deterministic. Because they also say in any moment, what? You can do another act. In fact, you will do another act in any moment, right? And what kind of act will that be? What kind of thought, word, or deed? Because those are the ways you create karma a lot. Um, will that be? You know? So you see how interesting that is? On one hand, they'll say, well, everything you put out is going to do something. And on the other hand, put out something different if you didn't like what happened, <laughs> you know? So there's this constant thing where you're creating, you're creating, you're creating your reality almost every moment. Um, and to me, that's very optimistic. Um, because every time I make a, what I think of as a mistake, I, I just, I know I can make a new beginning. You know, I know that. I believe that now, and I understand that. And that's very exciting for me. And not fatalistic in any way. So these... Um, but there is a tendency, as I mentioned. They don't label people, but there is a tendency because karma can create something. If you keep doing the same kind of stuff, though, what will happen? You know, you'll kind of keep creating the same kind of stuff. And so, therefore, speech and action, this is the way they write it, speech and action, um, and this has been my experience, speech and action of a certain kind, if it's repeated enough, will actually become a habit, right? And a habit 
often begins to form a person's temperament or a person's character, if you like. So those are Western words, you know, that I'm trying to use to translate the way that they would say. So they say, yeah, there, there can be a character or a temperament. Sure, it can change, but it's just because something's been repeated a lot and, and caused a lot of similar, similar karma. So temperament, I did want to share this. Because this is the tendency part, one of them. You could think of it, what we might call affect, or your vibe, or something like that, that you carry around. Not that it's always like this. You know, we have many vibes that we can nurture and put out in the world. But they do say sometimes people lean towards a certain kind of temperament. And those temperaments are based on the three poisons or the three fires again. So we're sort of back where we started. In other words, are you a desire kind of guy? You know, um, <laughs> That means, in a way, do you spend a lot of time thinking about what you'd like to have happen, <clears throat> you know, wanting things, nurturing that possibility, daydreaming about what could happen, you know? <laughs> this would be the fantasy guy. Um, <laughs> you know, um, nothing wrong, no blame. It's just a tendency. Um, and then where you get caught is it has to happen, or it's really important that it's that way, you know. And that's where the problems come in, um, because obviously who knows what's going to happen, right? Um, so that's maybe one tendency. The other one is what I referred to earlier with my, you know, sort of um, angry, a little intolerant, you know, a little frustrated person, the push-away girl, you know. You know, um, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I have to, yeah. um, I, um, have to say that I come from New York and I'd lost the accent pretty much. As you can tell, when I go back there, it comes out quickly. But um, I left when I was 18 or 19 or so, and even that was a strong formation. And I never really lived there after that. But to this day, um, I am reaping the benefits and the disabilities <laughs> of being from that wonderful place. And I think it's that. I think it's that. It's that sort of cynical, intellectual, um, I'm not saying this is bad even, fast talking, fast thinking, not exactly thinking I'm better than other people. I wouldn't go that far, but just knowing I'm pretty cool, you know. And I come from a cool place and, you know, etc. And um, I can be caught with, you know, this kind of stuff that um, lately people are getting tired of. Um, I'm having a go around with my partner about it um, she's not from New York at all um, and, I, and, I, and it's painful actually sometimes and I've been sitting with it lately because I've been through this for so long and I'm sitting with it again I'm thinking you know I'm not really that bad you know they should know what I was like when I was 30 you know or 25 um but nevertheless, if it hurts someone, you know, bottom line, you know, if it's not helping us to see clearly, <laughs> um, if it's, it's creating trouble, well, what's the point, right? So I really have to look at that, even if it's comfortable for me. Or let's even go further. If it's more than comfortable, I'm discovering it's like who I am. Hey, I'm just from New York, you know? And even though I've lost my accent, you know, um, I'm proud of it, you know, and I don't have an issue. And well, what is that voice, you know? That's the defense of the ego, 
you know, and it's not bad. We all have that. I'm not saying oh, that's really messed up. We all do that. I do that. You know, I, I, so I try to bring compassion to that first before I get into trouble. And then I say, okay, what do you want to do? You know? And sometimes I don't want to do anything. I just want them to get used to it, you know? <laughs> because I really don't mean anything by it, you know? But then sometimes I think, well, in some circumstances it is causing me a little too much trouble, you know? And I don't need that. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or whatever the situation is. So maybe I'll work with that a little. And I try to find a way of working with it. So I, I don't mean to tell my whole story here, but um, there's a good example of something, you know, that um, I think it's very ego eye based from actually a early formation, like from my teens even, that still serves me. I could do the wholesome part of that too. You know, I can talk on my feet. I can come up with almost anything sometimes, you know, because that's just where people were. You know, I get up in people's business all the time, you know, um, I'm told. Which, um, <laughs> you know, which again is a conditioned response, you know. Um, and it serves me well, too, you know, if I can temper it enough so that I don't offend people, you know. Okay. So I'm going to ask you in a minute to, to look into this for yourselves. Um, see if there's anything really important about it. Oh, I will give a little bit of tip about this because I think this is interesting. Um, there are actually Dharma instructions for sitting or for daily life practice too, that um, those three temperaments, if you want to call them, um, they can work with instructions. For example, I'll take um, the one that I was talking about, hateful type or anger or disliking type. Let's put it that way. Um, metta, obviously, right? Compassion practice, right? Um, equanimity actually has been the most helpful one for me of all of them um, because equanimity really gets it to me or it's easier for me maybe in a way which I mean by that is equanimity has love it's one of the four divine abodes right it is a type of love but it's a um, a little bit more distant love you know it's like a wisdom love to me it's like yeah you know just let go it's okay it's just a confusion it's just a problem you know it's a big deal you know it's it's all right you know, and then and then comes a kind of appreciation after that. If I can move back, of yeah, and aren't we all just trying to wake up? You know, aren't we all just trying to be happy or whatever? Um, so that helps me a lot with that one. Um, another one for like the deluded personality or or let's say temperament kind of confused person. I can do this one good too. Um, oh, there's just so many things. You know, I just don't know. You know, there's so many things and. I could do this, I could do that, and you know, and I don't know, the mind can't focus, you know, you get all distracted and you're kind of deluded into what's really happening. Um, mindfulness practice, right? Concentration practice, the bare attention practice that we do just watching the breath, you know, for example, for me is really helpful. And you've heard this, I'm sure, in Dharma talks before about why do mindfulness practice anyway. You know, it just focuses you in. Stops all that chatter. So that gives you a sense how deep this is. This is just a little taste of the different ways of talking about our personality and the Dharma. You know, <coughs> it's a half an hour or about 40 minutes, I guess I should stop. So um, we have 15 minutes, and I was hoping that uh, you could take five minutes and see if you're open to this. And tell me honestly if it feels, because I don't know what you guys do exactly, but um, I tried this with my group, and it was interesting. 
and you just turn to someone near you, and um, maybe Bob will ring the bell, and one person talks first, you know, and the other one listens, and what you do is you think of those three fires or three temperaments, so they are the craving or the desiring person, you know, and you have them all, but if you feel like one of those kind of up for you or more who you are, um, the not liking, the pushing away person, and then the, just the confused, deluded, um, ignorant kind of spaced out person. <laughs> um, and if you could just talk to each other a little bit about that, you know, for a couple of minutes, one person and then the other one talks, would you be open to this? Great. Okay, so just whoever you're sitting next to, maybe find someone and face them a little so that you know who you're talking to. And when Bob rings the bell, um, pick someone to start. And um, that person can start. And what you're going to do again is just think a little bit about those things. do this or not, but um, do you mind giving this particularly to the people from the East Bay? <laughs> I noticed there were some over there. Um, and it could be for anyone, but I don't have enough for everybody, but I think for the East Bay people may be more interested. Um, you know, as you have, are having, I know, sometimes an ongoing discussion about who gets to come to GBF, um, we have an ongoing discussion about who gets to come to LBS. Um, and basically, it's lesbian and bi women, period, the end. And, and so that's how it's been, and it's probably going to be that way for a long time. But, um, you know, the culture and the community is changing around us also, I think, to some degree. And things are morphing a little bit more. And um, from our viewpoint, we wanted to try to include other people in what we were doing in some way. Not like this. You know, not in our, our sittings and our study groups and all that. But maybe in some other way. So we do have events occasionally, and this is one of them. It's a play. Um, it's a very good one-woman show. Um, you can read the information. Um, it's basically a woman wakes up, a young woman wakes up because this homeless man is camping out in her backyard. And um, she's freaked out, and she's also a Buddhist student, sort of. And so she works with the Dharma around how to deal with this situation and goes through a lot of social, political, spiritual transformation. And it's a great show, and it's well done. It's not some little hokey thing. And one of the um, people who wrote this is part of our saga. So we decided to have a play, <laughs> in other words. So with the church where we meet in Berkeley, as you can see on the flyer, on the 3rd of October, which is a Friday night, we're going to open this up to friends of LBS, so to speak. You know, So we'll be there, and anybody, any woman can invite anybody she wants. So I'm a woman, and I'm inviting all of you. <laughs> um, you know, um, because I do think there's a place for community among us, and and then the, there isn't, 
You know what I mean? And I think we're all, to some degree, struggling with that. And I've always, as I've told you before, felt a kinship with this group from our group. And partly it's because we're in the East Bay more and you're over here more and there's all this and it's been going on for years. And not that we have to do something, but we just decided we would open this up, that's all. So people are going to invite, like, their nephew. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's just who knows what's going to happen. So I thought I'd put it out there for you all. And if you um, have any questions or anything, there's no phone number on there, but people know how to reach me. But basically, it's, it's all on there, and um, I think it's going to be a fun evening. Thank you, Kat. Thank you. Other announcements? There is a potluck this Saturday night at my house, 237 Masonic, which is Masonic and Turk, across the street from the blood bank. should be easy parking. Everybody, please come. <laughs> Can you just tell me you're having a refuge ceremony? Yeah. Who's is someone leading it or uh, you're leading it and you're taking refuge in this? Oh, I see. <laughs> That's cool. That's great. It's it's a part of this. I mean, it's a Sunday thing. Uh, yeah, it's a Sunday. Great. Oh, interesting. Our host. Our host. wake up to the truth and beauty of who we really are in acknowledgement of our particular temperaments embracing them with love.
Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.